Hi everyone, you just heard the song Boys of Paradise by the musician Unicorn Kid, who is one of the most famous C-Punk musicians from uh, the inception of C-Punk in 2011. And so we're going to talk to you about C-Punk this week because I actually myself was a C-Punk around 2013, and I was a C-Punk for exactly one year. <laughs> and I am one of the last living C-Punk historians. I think so. Yeah. yeah. The dying breed. Um, I personally was not C-Punk. I just observed it on the internet, you know, like kind of vaguely. But yeah, I, I didn't know people actually did it in real life. So to hear Nathan say that, I was like, all right, we got to we gotta learn more about this. And so I will kind of be in the role of the learner right now as I um, yeah. learn about C-Punk. But yeah, when I was C-Punk in high school, people would tell me to my face, C-Punk isn't real, even though I'd be standing <laughs> in front of them in a swimsuit with blue hair. Like I would wear swimsuits to high school. Yeah. Oh, wow. Like the, the like teal hair. No, um, I had like, I had a bright blue haircut that then faded into sort of like a silver, mm. um, which was interesting because around that time I um, was a member of the Born This Way Foundation's youth advisory board, the Born This Way Foundation being Lady Gaga's foundation. Yeah. And you were I was a little monster, weren't you? Yeah. No, I wasn't. I was not. I've never been into pop stars. Yeah. Um, I'm not that into music, honestly, which is probably why our Crystal Castles episode is a bit detested by the <laughs> Crystal Castles fan base. But yeah, I think there's big overlap with like I. We might catch some flack on this one. From, no, no, I know no, way no, more than yeah, you like, know enough of your research where we're not going to be like getting the um actually type of guys, <laughs> some like retired sea punks and stuff. Yeah, but yeah, but yeah, I was actually at the youth advisory board conference in Los Angeles. I got this free vacation in high school. Oh. I actually got two free vacations out of this organization. And I met Lady Gaga's mom. <laughs> Big. And then she told people the following day in the morning, she was like, you know what? This, the color of that guy's hair, I've been dreaming in that color for like months. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a strange thing to say. Lady Gaga's mom had dreams about the color of your hair, uh, premonitory dreams. It kind of um, makes sense because, you know, they say you dream in black and white and my hair was a, more of a silver color at that point. So, but yeah. it's more of like a lavender silver. It still mm -hmm. fit within the sea punk color scheme. But so I had a blue that went to silver and then I had like basically like, um, like a parrot color scheme where mm. it was like green, moss green plus some yellow, like a punk friend in high school did it for me. Parrot, yeah, parrot colors. I'm, I'm picturing it. Yeah, yeah. It was like, it was very tropical. Yellow, red, green. But no, I'm going to post um, pictures of me when I was C-Punk on Instagram <laughs> this week. Because usually I post like a picture of the episode mm -hmm. and then, you know, I post the Pinterest board that we make or mm -hmm. like some other fun stuff. So yeah, that's going to be available on Instagram pretty soon. Oh, but yeah, I was C-Punk in part because I was a diver. It was also part of my Cycles project. Mm -hmm. It was the second iteration of the Cycle idea where I started with neon colors and I wore that for like a year straight. And then... Mm -hmm. I found C-Punk and it just inspired me so much that I wanted to do like a 180 and go completely off in the other direction and yeah. wear aquatic clothing to school. <laughs> so your cycles project, everything started with N, correct? Yeah. So this was nautical? Yeah. Was the idea? Right. Yeah. But there are so many nautical aesthetics. C-Punk is yeah, one of them. You could have been like going around like a little sailor boy or something. <laughs> yeah. Actually, like I, I get compared to whenever I wear stripes. <laughs> I was gifted a sailor's cap um, during this oh. year by my family. Oh, wow. uh, but I lost it somewhere along the line. I never really wear hats anyways. Yeah, no, you don't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. With having very light hair, my hair dies easily. And I had, I had like for like crazy clothes day or whatever at school, like spirit days and stuff, I'd always dye my hair and it'd take a while to get out. 
I don't know. I feel like I really could have dyed my hair or something in the past, but I, I'm too square to. <laughs> yeah. So, you need to dye it black and become a bad boy. I've thought about like just doing that as a, as a joke is just dyeing my hair dark and just being yeah. a brunette for a bit. Um, you might be into this idea, but I've thought in the past, okay, what colors have I never seen hair dyed in? The first one I came up with was nude. The second one was navy. I feel like you never see anyone Navy. where it's like subtly blue. Jean hair. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> dark blue hair. Yeah. But like this, blue like black. super dark blue. Yeah. Indigo. I'm picturing like when Asian girls try and dye their hair blue, you know, <laughs> like, so it's just very dark and then a little blue basically. But yeah, oh man, you got to bleach it first. Yeah. That just sounds so scary. Which I, I've done twice in my life. Yeah. Although you know what actually was it for the swim team? That's always a common swim team. Or no, I was annoyed. No, I was excluded from that. Of um, course. <laughs> so they didn't even tell me, even though I was looking forward to it. I was like, oh, they're gonna bleach my hair for free. <laughs> I was like, that sounds good. Um, but I don't even think they use good bleach because the intention is to just buzz your hair off later. Yeah. So it probably mm-hmm. would have made me look bad um, even mm-hmm. once I dyed it. But yeah, yeah they um, they didn't do that. But yes, as as said, I was a diver in high school. I was like originally on the swim team. It was like sophomore year. I was trying to like do a sport and then the guys were kind of mean to me. It wasn't like that homophobic, but there was something around there. And so then the diver, my friend Isaac, he, um, well, there was only one diver in the entire school and the oh. men's side, he was nice to me. Oh. <laughs> and so then I decided to like go ahead and try it out. And I was actually freaked out by it. Like I didn't want to get hit my back on the water, hit my stomach on the water hitting your back like a back flop is worse yeah. than a, a belly flop um or hitting the board which i did do once yeah. while the swim team was watching like your head on the board no i, I scratched my back up oh jesus yeah yeah and those are so grippy too is the things they're so rough oh, Jesus. yeah, yeah i wish i i picked a sport that wasn't terrifying it like yeah. it was kind of a lot um i did break the jv record though whoa yeah no that's big that's cool yeah. so yeah that was nice i wonder if my name is still on the swim board <laughs> it might be yeah my school had no sports um but oh, i think i would have liked to be a diver i like the graceful kind of sports i don't know that sounds so pretty yeah. <laughs> it sounds like but i mean you kind of know me and you know you point out that i'm very like risk averse yeah so, so it's, it's interesting like <laughs> i i would think the way you even talk about it you're almost like oh that was scary i almost wish i didn't do that like no you must be a little bit proud of it right yeah but like if i see diving in a commercial or something i like cringe <laughs> What? You're traumatized? You successfully did diving, left with no injuries, and so now when yeah. you see bits of it, you're... But I never um, I never went from JV to varsity simply because I didn't want to do reverse dives, which are a type of dive where you stand on the end of the board, you jump backwards, and then... Or no, no, no. It's oh. when you stand on the end of the board, and then you go forward until backwards, because I was good at the other oh, one, yeah, which are yeah. reverse dives. Mm-hmm. Reverse ones, I could do like inward doubles, which mm-hmm. was the highest... Um, most difficult dive I was able to do as a diver. Oh, wow. Yeah, I I imagine like backflips must be easier than front flips, I feel. Am I tripping out? I no, I, the thing was, I was a gymnast oh. um, as a child. Yeah. And so I was able to do front things, but never backwards. I don't yeah. know why. But yeah, I was always better with diving, in diving with like front, front facing dives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I... I wish I could have done more gymnastics and like all that stuff before I, I don't know. My mom was a gymnast before she got too tall and I knew that was going to happen to me eventually too. But 
I don't know. I was already bullied enough as a kid. And I think, I think gymnastics would have been <laughs> just yeah. another. Did you do a year thing. or two of it or something? As a kid. Yeah. But just like to get a little like energy out of me, you know, just to tire me out. Not in anything, any serious way, but it's great mm-hmm. to have access to like those foam pits as a child. Like that's so good. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. I like gymnastics, but I did get too tall or something too. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. um, even though I'm still pretty flexible, I can, like if I try to touch my toes, I can put my both palms on the floor. Nice. I'm very yeah. proud of my ability to do that. <laughs> yeah, it feels good. Yeah. But back to C-Punk. So we have the arena slideshow on here and we'll post that as well. But I'm just going to kind of sort through this and we're going to work through. You Wait. organize this like super well of just like the origins of C-Punk. Wait, I should explain basically. where this, this slide deck comes from. Yeah. So I, while I was in high school, I originally found out about C-Punk through reading an article on Pitchfork about Azealia Banks, Banks's um, mixtape Fantasy, which mm-hmm. was on the cover, there's her as a mermaid. And then within the Pitchfork article, they mentioned C-Punk. I found out what it was and I was enthralled and then I became C-Punk. Mm-hmm. And then while I was a student, there was a non-credit course I took called The Future. It was done by like one of my favorite teachers in the school. Mm-hmm. And we got, some of us got to do presentations on random things. And I did this Google Drive slide deck on C-Punk that's like, 120 slides or something like that. It's pretty extensive. Mm-hmm. And it documents C-Punk as it was happening, which yeah. is really good because I bet half of the things on this are not available anymore, but I, ha- I got the screenshots. Yeah, no, I was yeah. just thinking about that. This is like a good archival kind of thing. Um, as I tried to like research this and find more things, people are trying to do these like retroactive <laughs> studies on C-Punk, but there's, they don't have the, I don't know, wealth of like firsthand materials that you do yeah. and connections as well to people in the, in the community. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know on the Nymphed alumni, uh, sorry, on the Nymphed alumni podcast, I love what they say. I agree with most of the things, but when they talked about C Punk briefly on one of the episodes, they described it as like vaporwaves for slutty girls. <laughs> <laughs> and you were like, no, you're missing the point. There was so much more. It was a whole. Well, no, because vaporwave came later. Yeah. Um, I did not realize that until I was researching this. I yeah. uh, assumed that C Punk was like a splinter faction. Yeah. But it no. makes me sad, too, that C Punk never got as big as vaporwave there's less of it out there yeah it felt like sometimes a rigidly enforced theme is good like it makes things kind of focused but if you can't like if there's not enough room within that theme for variation then the people are going to get bored they want something a little more open-ended and i think vaporwave is more open-ended in its aesthetics yeah, for sure like as we'll learn in the slide deck sea punks have a vendetta against mermaids they couldn't actually <laughs> use mermaid aesthetics Oh, so, wow, that's interesting. I think this is so clear, like a Tumblr influenced thing. Cause I yeah. feel like there was like a, almost like a, a whole mermaid hair thing on Tumblr. I know about that, but yeah, girls like seeing themselves as mermaids. Yeah. Um, and yeah. one last thing on the slide deck. So if I tried to post the Google drive link to the Google slide deck, it would not like, eventually there'd be too many visitors and it wouldn't mm-hmm. work. So what I did is I spent some time this week migrating the entire slideshow over to arena. Um, which is good because now there's like a backup of it and it's publicly available. But that will be the first link in the show notes. Mm-hmm. And so as Joseph mentioned, he's going to go through this and sort of interview me about like what each slide ma- means. Yeah. Um, for some of them, it might be good to name the particular slide, like yeah. slide 16 mm-hmm. or whatever. I want to go lightly out of order. kind of want to start with the early beginning slides. Okay. I want to talk about the origin before we get into the people. We're going to hop ahead a little bit to this early beginning slide. Slide 21. <laughs> uh, so this is this is a tweet by Lil Internet. And so this is like, is this the origin of C-Punk? Yeah. So C-Punk was coined by Lil Internet in June 2011 
But as you can see in this slide, both these two people will come up later, both Zambel as well as Alter Demon, there are arrows pointing to them and their profile pictures on Twitter. And you can see very visibly that there were C-Punk at this point already. It's just that this ascetic hadn't been termed. And he later actually wanted to redact the name C-Punk and call it Wave Rave instead, which is actually much more fitting. Because mm-hmm. C-Punk was more 90s and more electronic. It doesn't, yeah. there's nothing about it that's really punk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always thought the punk suffix was more of like, I don't know, when the word cyberpunk was coined, it kind of lost a little bit of its punk edge. And then I feel like, when C-Punk, it was also a pivot off of cyberpunk in a way. So now it just feels like we're getting further and further from the actual punk. I think it was it. an iteration off of steampunk because like oh. 2011, people were talking yeah. about it a lot still. Yeah, I, I think steampunk was hopefully on its way out by then. But No, everyone yeah. was always like, oh, this will be in. People start dressing like this all the time. It's so <laughs> practical. It never yeah, people just up. gluing like gears to top hats and stuff. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I was so cringe as a kid, but I, even steampunk made me cringe. Where I was like, ah, jeez. Yeah, um, I think it was tastefully done in like Bioshock Infinite. I think that was like a fun, like, uh, like nineteen oh five era kind of visual vibe. Yeah, I never liked uh, steampunk too much, but there was a period when I was very young and dumb that I thought that electro swing was cool. <laughs> electro swing, man. It's just there's something a, a dark malignant energy comes forth of that from that genre, yeah. Um, so yeah, this feels just this guy's account, little government. This feels a little uh, indie sleaze. Oh no, little government is someone else. Um, oh, little government, little internet, and little government. Yeah, he never addressed C Punk, even though he's credited with coining it and mm-hmm. was definitely involved with some musical projects, I think. But he was not that like exemplative of the C Punk aesthetic. So he was just saying that, like, yeah, C-Punk leather jacket with barnacles where the studs used to be. <laughs> yeah. So he's just kind of stream of consciousness talking about an aesthetic that, like, half yeah. came to him in a dream. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just, it's a very inorganic start to a movement. But, I mean, it's the internet. So, like, <laughs> you know, not yeah. everything is fully grassroots. Like, this isn't, like, people weren't dressing like this and then... You know, people then applied a label to them as subcultures are supposed to form. No, it, it did. It you know, like as I mentioned, Zambel and Ultra Demon, they were, we're both, already doing it. Yeah, they like that profile picture of Zambel is the picture mm-hmm. I think of first when I think of her. Mm-hmm. Um, the aesthetics were pretty much there already. I don't think the music really happened mm-hmm. until he uh, made this tweet, though. Yeah, part of this comes from what we talked about on the Crystal Castles episode, where once the internet started to really become a fixture in our daily life. People started to look at images and think what they would sound like. This happened with Witch House, this happened with Vaporwave, and as with Crystal Castles, that happened with them looking at, I mean, they sort of made their own aesthetic, I don't really know what to call it, but Mm -hmm. they said that that came first, before the music. Yeah, it's just, it's funny. Like, that's just bucking the way that things used to be. Like, usually it was music first, and then things would develop around that. But yeah, I think it's just like, oh, we have to have a theme tune. <laughs> yeah. It's a good, it's an yeah, interesting inversion. Um, so we can hop back to the kind of C-Punk who's who, because these people are going to pop up throughout this. So as you mentioned, Zombell. Yeah. Um, so how, like, were you just internet friends? Like, no, was I, was, I was like 17 when this was happening. Mm-hmm. And I also didn't even have like Tumblr or Instagram. Hmm. One, of, part, one reason for that is because 
I um, thought I'd heard about Tumblr too late, it, but I heard about it in 2010. But I, every year after that, I start, I kept being like, too late oh, now. yeah, too late now. It'll it'll phase out. But it didn't phase out until maybe like 2015. So I kind of missed out on that. And then I didn't actually have a smartphone until I was like 20. So I didn't have Instagram. Whoa. Yeah. I only got the smartphone in uh, college because I wanted to go on Tinder. <laughs> Interesting. No, yeah, I got my smartphone at like 16 or so. I just can't imagine like going off to college in a different state without like my little smartphone. I had a real like bad phone, but still. Yeah. No, I used to like look up map directions on my computer and then write them print down. Print them out? Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> not even print them out. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. But um, yeah, so uh, the first one that we'll be talking about is Zambel. And so Zambel, like a lot of the other people on this list, actually did not grow up anywhere near the ocean. She was born in Kansas City. Um, and that's actually, I think, true for Ultra Demon as well as Kevin Heckart, who will also be on this list. So Seapunk actually has like a pretty Midwestern origin, which is mm-hmm. interesting because it's an oceanic aesthetic. Yeah, I think it's just that we have like, if you're detached from the ocean, you're detached from it's like, I don't know, it's new and it's different and you can, you're more free to like do what you want with it. And then. Yeah. I mean, I also think it might be the case that Chicagoans seem to gravitate towards this idea of the aesthetic. Like, for example, the founder of Healthgoth lived here. Oh, um, interesting. So, yeah, I don't know. I think that the type of thing that's cool on the coasts, which is like just spending a lot of money on luxury clothing, mm-hmm. uh, doesn't really fly here. There's like actual creativity, I think, when it comes to expressing yourself through clothing. Yeah, I really like that. Yeah, because I mean, we're always just like, we're known not to be a fashion city. Yeah. Um, and I think that's freeing. You don't have all the eyes and all the pressure on you. Like, yeah, I, yeah, I was just at, um, at a vintage clothing swap over the weekend. Vintage house shy is the, uh, Instagram account. And it was huge. It was in this very like, um, you know, industrial chic, like wedding venue space called Rockwell on the river. And it was just gigantic. Like the sheer amount of people in there. I didn't like realize the demand for like, <laughs> indie clothing and I was I was thinking I was talking to a friend like I'm sure you could get this in New York but everything would cost more and we'd be even more packed in and it would be even further outside of the city you know like <laughs> I don't know Chicago is like I think it's just one of its strengths that it has this like kind of space but also like just enough urban culture to like use it yeah that's true but yeah so she's famous for her music also as we'll get to in a moment she was in a relationship with Ultra Demon. Um, but with Ultra Demon, she co-founded Coral Records and Mainframe. Coral Records made uh, composite C-Punk albums, mixtapes, and then Mainframe was their clothing brand. But we'll get to both of those later. Um, and she also coined Slime Punk, which we'll get to yeah, later on in the, the slideshow. Um, did you actually have any physical media of C-Punk-like records? No, I do have one C-Punk shirt from Mainframe, mm-hmm. the company that Zumbel and Ultra Demon created. But otherwise, it's all like thrifted stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish I got more of it. But yeah. Oh, also Zumbel, uh, my dad once met her to pick up that shirt. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. I feel like it, there are so many close encounters I have with these people, um, which we'll get, we'll get to over the course of the podcast episode today. But yeah. One time I wanted to get like a shirt, I think I wanted to get it for the Lady Gaga Born This Way Foundation because they were going to be in Chicago and I wanted to look cool. (laughs) And so I did actually wear that shirt to that 
but yeah, they took over a month to deliver it. And then my dad was like, Hey, um, is this coming? And then she emailed him back like, Oh, you could pick it up if you're here. And he's like, sure. Yeah. No, that's always easier. Yeah. I, yeah. For this vintage clothing meet, uh, I had, I follow this great guy field IL, but he curates like vintage menswear. Um, and I had saved this one jacket that I really, really liked. And I was like, ah, maybe I'll get it. Maybe I won't. I don't know if I want to spend the money. And then I went to the vintage clothing thing and his shop was there and I got to see the jacket in person. I was like, oh, I'll just buy it right here. <laughs> I'll yeah. save myself on shipping. Yeah. And then that White Sox hat I have here, I was, I had put in the order to buy it on eBay. And then the woman just direct messaged me like, uh, we live less than a block away. We are like across the alley from each other basically you just want to come over tonight and I was like yeah okay and I'll pick up the hat <laughs> like it's nice when yeah. he's I don't know you're like doing all this through the internet how did she know your address though because she's gonna ship it oh she was to ship it and she realized like oh I'm gonna ship this like literally less than 300 feet away yeah um makes yeah. sense so ultra demon yeah ultra demon ultra demon now is trans um so they go by she her pronouns their real life name is like now Lillian Redwine but I think it's fine to call them Ultra Demon on the episode because they still have accounts online that go mm -hmm. by the name Ultra Demon. So I think it's fine to just call her that throughout the episode. But yeah, Ultra Demon was also originally from Kansas City. I'm interested to know if like these people from Kansas City, if they're from the Missouri side or the Kansas side, because I think when I made this slideshow, I... I didn't realize Kansas City wasn't really in Kansas. Yeah, that's weird. Which now I do. But yeah, they're originally from the Midwest in Kansas. And they moved from Kansas City to LA to Chicago, which I think uh, Zambella also did. Yeah. So they must have been dating in Kansas City originally. And then same thing with Zambella, created Coral Records and Mainframe. Mm -hmm. But the two of them together, as we get to the next slide, slide five, they're both like so exemplary of the sea punk aesthetic on slide five. You can see that like very consistently have like blue to green hair in yeah. varying shades. Mm -hmm. And then also their outfits actually don't involve that much blue. There's a lot that you can wear within like a sea punk uniform. It's not as constrictive as people yeah. would think. Like same with me when I was in high school as well. Mm -hmm. Like it's actually very difficult to amass an entire wardrobe that's aquatic yeah. <laughs> in like a few weeks or a few you start months. To, yeah. You start to hit the limits <laughs> in some yeah. places. I mean, you go thrifting and you, you pick up what you can find, but mm -hmm. overall you have to be pretty creative. In the first picture of Ultra Demon on the left, you can see that she's wearing a shirt from mainframe, but otherwise there's not too much that's like strictly aquatic. Like in the lower picture, Zambella is wearing a wetsuit that's usually used for surfing. Yeah. I was noticed the rash guard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's nothing else really that like screams sea punk, but just with the hair and like thrifted clothing, you can pull it off. And if you, just like a touch of blue somewhere else in the outfit, yeah. mm -hmm. that's what does it. Yeah. But yeah, these two I think of as being like the the like owners of sea punk. Like Little Internet created the term, yeah. but these people actually took full control. They, yeah, they did like the legwork on this. If they're out there like running a record company, distributing merch, like and yeah. all that, that's you're the de facto leader of this aesthetic. That seems like that's that must have been so interesting because like <laughs> I am the CEO of Sea Punk. Like <laughs> to anyone else around you, you're just like another like alt person, and it's just like, yeah. like well, actually, online I am uh, very powerful. <laughs> I, yeah, I lead an uh, an aesthetic. 
Yeah, same with me running a Discord server. <laughs> yes. Um, but no, I used to refer them to them as like King and Queen, which actually might still yeah, be Yeah, they're Empress and Emperor on here, yeah. Um. <laughs> My bad. Sorry, I didn't like touch up this too much before I posted it to mm -hmm. Arena. Should have done that. But it was a lot of work transferring 120 images over. Yeah. But yeah. Leif? Leif? Yeah, Leif. Wow, how did you guess that? Um, I know yeah. some Scandinavians. And Leif is like... Oh. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's Leaf. It's spelled L-E-1-F. So Leaf is originally from New York. And he strongly associated with people um, involved in C-Punk. But the music that he made itself was not very C-Punk. Although there's a bunch of pictures of him with, like, green or blue hair. But, yeah, he um, switched over to Slime Punk for some time um, after doing C-Punk. Uh, and he started out as a track producer. But... Of all the people who are associated with C-Punk, he's the only one who stuck to... No, Ultra Demon does stick to music too, but Leaf has actually become relatively famous and stayed famous. Like, mm -hmm. his most famous song is What Is What? And it has like 7 million downloads on Spotify. Yeah, wow. Yeah. That's interesting. He, yeah, he... I don't know. C-Punk was just one like small part of his like larger kind of yeah, musical journey. Yeah, it's not even on his um, Wikipedia page now. Oh. You'll probably look at the pictures of Leaf and be like, what? What are these? I think at the time I was like trying to show early pics of these people, but I couldn't find them for everyone. Mm -hmm. But Leaf, I could. And that's why there's a random picture of him planking. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you can see this too with the next slide of Unicorn Kid. So on the left, there's pictures of oh him man, from when he did. Vicious 2010s, like flashbacks to stuff here. Yeah. He, he's got like 303 vibes. Yeah. That's how I'd describe it. Oh, man. Yeah, he started out as a chiptune musician, which, mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of playful and kind of a joke. Yeah. Which I made know, me I, realize... I cast some aspersions about chiptunes in the Crystal Castles episode. Yeah. I don't know. I just find it like guy who wears Legend of Zelda shirt is the vibe. Yeah. Um, but no, I think that his early interest in chiptunes is a bit related to his then later interest in C-Punk because yeah. they're both kind of playful and kind of jokes. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, he he's from Scotland. He's gay. I had a crush on him. Um, <laughs> but I just, it's interesting to say like to try and draw any lines, like what is C-Punk and what isn't like, and that you, what you said about it kind of being a joke. Um, it's funny to see, like uh, you said the wave rave thing of like how uh, someone wanted to change the terminology later. And it's, you can't like <laughs> the, the people are in control now it's in their hands. Like, I wonder how really serious people were about enforcing anything on a made up internet culture. Are people getting mad about this or was it all good fun? You know? Um, no, I don't think he was getting mad, but yeah. he was saying in interviews, like, it should be called Wave Rave. I do think it's more accurate. And mm -hmm. yeah, C-Punk too, like, you can mess it up and like, oh, is there a space between the two words? Wave Rave just, I don't know, it might have been a better term. Mm -hmm. But yeah, anything else about Unicorn Kid that's important? I wrote here actually in the slideshow that he's the most famous C-Punk, but now like Leaf clearly is more famous than him. Also, his first concert was Nine Inch Nails at 11. <laughs> I tell you, my first concert was the Goo Goo Dolls yeah. with my mom. She I, got into them after we were watching um, Treasure Planet, that forgotten DreamWorks movie. Yeah. And they, for some reason, extensively used the Goo Goo Dolls in it. Um, and it is like, it is mom music anyway. I don't know how she didn't find it without that movie. But yeah, so I saw them <laughs> in Las Vegas. It's just, yeah. That, it's just, it's just not good, but it's like, it's funny. I think that's like, that's, it's good in another sense of like, hey, you shouldn't have a choice in your first concert. You should be drafted yeah. into something that is unrelated to you, to your actual tastes. Yeah. Um, My first concert ever is kind of random. It was Joanna Newsom. Do you know her? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, at like 14. 
I went to see a harpist. <laughs> yeah. Big harpist, <laughs> harp fan. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And then we also have Kevin Heckert on here. Yeah. So Kevin was not a musician. He sort of is the main pioneer of the C-Punk backdrop or like images that make you think of C-Punk. There are a few um, examples of his work, I believe, in the next few slides, like slide nine mm -hmm. and slide 10. Yeah. So to those yeah unfamiliar or maybe not watching the slideshow, it's, you know, early 3D graphics is the main inspiration for stuff. And it's always aquatic, like reflection effects, geometric shapes. This one here has like the kind of Russian onion domes in it and then pyramids. I think that's a good one. Yeah. Well, that yeah. might be actually be the cover art for the episode because I feel yeah. like it's appropriately blue. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, Kevin Heckart was originally from Kansas as well. So he had another Midwestern sea punk and he went to SAAC, which is school that, which is the school that I went to. And this aesthetic is not as limited to sea punk because vaporwave, the way they yeah. construct their artwork mm -hmm. is definitely influenced by sea punk, the arrangement. Mm -hmm. I mean, what Kevin did is a bit more simple because it's so early, but a lot of the things you see in his work, you're going to later see in Vaporwave if you look at like Vaporwave yeah. artwork. Mm -hmm. He designed shirts for Mainframe and doesn't really dress like a C-Punk. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I guess like there's it being a very online thing. I'm sure some people compartmentalize more than others, you know, yeah. like just had it as something in their online life. Yeah. Um, but yeah, C-Punk essentials. Dyed hair, of course. God, it's such a distinctive color. I, huh. I don't know why this is coming to me, but my like little laptop that I use here, my like, uh, how old is this? 12 year old MacBook Air. I gave it this like water background probably 12 years ago. And then what I also did is you can change the highlight color instead yeah. of highlighting stuff like, here what it is. But my highlight color is like the sea punk teal. It's like a celeste green. Yeah. I don't know. And this is of 2012. So this is maybe the most sea punk I ever got was turning my little like, Mac into <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I do like the highlight color. Oh. But yeah, in this slide, slide 13, you can see like a very wide range of hair colors and styles. I'd think that the most quintessential one is like the teal that you see like in the bottom two pictures, also the guy with like the wisp. But yeah, you can get like pretty creative though. Like at the bottom left, there's a picture of Unicorn Kid. Where on the back of the, his head, there's like a yin yang symbol. Is that I, tattooed on there? No, they just, um, they dyed the top. And then before they dyed the, the bottom, they carved. Yeah, someone used a buzzer on the back of his head to create the yin yang symbol. Yeah. A few of these I knew, I knew at the time and I know now they're like not really that C-punk, but I was trying to fill space. Mm -hmm, um, of course. But these are pretty accurate. Like I don't think anyone today would be able to kind of know what the hair is supposed to look like. But yeah, the next slide is for like yin yang symbols. So this one, it, you know, they're not appropriating the yin yang symbol in we love Eastern cultures way. It's just because yeah. that's what was popular in the 90s. Uh, yin yang symbols like were all over like high school classrooms in the 90s. People had them on their notebooks or on their pencils. So that's where this just comes from. Dolphins, another huge thing in C-Punk. And this, of course, makes its way to Vaporwave as well. Yeah, although I'd say that a vaporwave image that has a dolphin is not true vaporwave, but there is overlap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because, no, this is like the symbol of sea punks. They love dolphins. This feels very, um, and this 
is mentioned somewhere in here, but like 90s beach shop kind of style where like those little like shacks you see and like Venice Beach, they try and sell you on stuff like tie dye and yeah. dolphin graphics. Like that's definitely like a, a core part of the clothing oh, side of things. Looking at this, the girl on the bottom left wearing like a shirt, a tie dye shirt with dolphins reminds me of in high school one time. There's this guy uh, in the class who is a little bit weird and gross. And like I traded him uh, for a dolphin shirt that he was wearing. <laughs> and then he was like, I was like, I'll trade you something. Have you seen me wear anything that you like? <laughs> I traded with this guy. Um, I still have that shirt. It, wow. it is very C-punk, but also it's like, wow, I was really tweaking out. It's <laughs> <laughs> really tweaking out. No, because you're talking I, to the weird kid. No, when I like, no, I was a weird kid too. But no, when I get obsessive about things, I'll do, I'll go to like every end I can get to just to like exhaust my interest in it. So that was one thing that I did. Wow. I think you have a set, like, I think you want to find the end of things. I think that's like a trait. <laughs> you're, you're a completionist. You're yeah. a finalist. Yeah. I am actually. Like, if I'm reading a book, I always try to finish it. Yeah. Unless it's really bad and then I put it down in like 10 pages. <laughs> All yeah. or nothing. Greek new media, meaning like Greek statues. Come on. Now we're totally getting into vaporwave here. I know. You know? But this was, you, again, vaporwave came later. Yeah. So C-Punk was doing this early on too. Yeah. But Greek new media is a very useful term. So when you see Greek images in C-punk artwork or vaporwave artwork or other aesthetic artwork out there, um, it's referred to as Greek new media. And so I guess for the C-punks, they liked Greek new media in like the Neptune way. Mm, and then for yeah. vaporwave, they liked it in the Italian way. Yeah. Or like Roman way. So, yeah, I was going to say like, because there's like La Pietas on here. So that's not to be a stickler. That's Renaissance. Yeah. Not like ancient Greek, but... I'm trying to think what the actual, like, the v Vaporwave marble bust. I'm trying to think who that's actually depicting in that. Isn't it Michelangelo? Like, depicting? Just the head? No, that's the artist. But, yeah. Oh, we're getting into music now? Oh, uh, no. Isn't it, isn't it the, the bust, isn't the bust of David? David. By Michelangelo? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. That's what it is. It's totally David. Yeah. 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 And then, going back to the 90s, just, like... Futurist out there, lightly aquatic music. Yeah. Blue. <laughs> this, the, these are all pictures of Aqua. Yeah. Um, who, you know, I don't know that well beyond Barbie Girl. I can't imagine they have a deep catalog. I can't imagine there's yeah. like, it'd be really funny to get some like hardcore Aqua fans on our case. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just think it was simply the logo <laughs> was why I included this because it's not like they're dressed up like mermaids, but. I do. I do actually like their music a lot. Um, the kind of a '90s into 2000s aesthetic as well. Um, but the Backstreet Boys Millennium album. Uh, this yeah. is a little more Fruitager Arrow as well, and just like you know, Millennium aesthetics broadly. But I don't know what a time. What a time. Just they were people really looking forward before 9/11. <laughs> I think yeah. there was a lot of like futurism um, yeah. presenting itself in different ways. On the next slide, we have wavy and plur. So these two words both came from times before C-punk. Wavy is a word that kind of just means cool. And it was, it's associated with some rapper. I, I have heard people use it a few times in my life, but it's not like commonly used. Mm. And then plur stands for peace, love, unity, and respect. And it comes from rave culture. When people are on drugs, I guess they say that to each other. <laughs> um, but yeah, both of these yeah. words are like very C-punk. Mm-hmm. 
I think it's so hard to invent. Like, I think it's, that's a natural thing. If you have a movement, it's like, all right, we have our visual aesthetic. We have our clothes. We have our music. Like now we need like linguistic turn, not linguistic terms. We need slang. Yeah. Know? Slang. Like I hate, I hate mermaids. <laughs> yeah. You'd have slogans and slang. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Echo the dolphin for the Sega Genesis. 1992 that came out. You play as a bottlenose dolphin who travels through time to combat hostile extraterrestrials. That is so, they don't, yeah. I don't know. It honestly looks like a fun game. Yeah. I never grew up with video games because my mom said I could only play on handhelds, not consoles. Mm. So I would play Pokemon, but nothing else. Mm. Uh, I'm kind of glad I never played video games, but this one looks really fun. There was a Flash game where you played as dolphins who, uh, like you try and stab each other. And this was like in 2013. I'm trying to think what this is from. And it was, it was done in a very futurist style as well. I can't track that down, but yeah, even in the box art for echo the dolphin, just that, like the grid behind it. I think that was on all Sega Genesis, like console backgrounds, but I don't know. It's just very distinctive. And the kind of like zoo books style, like wildlife portraiture. Yeah. Really interesting. So we just skipped over the two slides about the original tweet by Little Internet. And now we're on some slides titled Early Beginnings. So we can see here some pictures from Zumbel's Instagram, which are now deleted. I look I looked. Hopefully they're just archived. Mm -hmm. But the first slide has pictures of Zumbel's Instagram from when they were vaguely Witch House. And so for people who don't know, Witch House is sort of the first mass indie aesthetic movement mm -hmm. a mass indie being the umbrella term that describes c-punk vaporwave health goth and then the earliest one being witch house that one like was related to just like spooky images <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the musicians that are part of witch house their names were actually just symbols like i don't even know how to say them because their name would just be a bunch of triangles or something mm. but you can see here like a tarantula the instagram filters she was using at the time were very brown and then if you go to the next slide she starts using blue filters or green mm -hmm. filters. And so you see that Zambelle dyed her hair blue slash green. Um, <laughs> there's even a picture of her with after eating a blue lollipop and her tongue. Is <laughs> and yeah, they're developing and creating the C-Punk aesthetic. I want to hop ahead to like the actual running of this community. How did people communicate? So Twitter must have been large Tumblr as well. Yeah. Um, but you also had like a Facebook group here. Yeah, this is a Facebook group for C-Punk titled C-Punk BR or C-Punk Brazil. And I think it's always interesting with any of these mass indie aesthetics that the people who are like oftentimes the truest believers are people from random countries like Brazil. <laughs> like you'll see them and it's just like such a concentrated presentation of the idea. Mm -hmm. And they tend to stick to it for longer. Yeah. I don't know. There's like something I, I'm too much of an outsider to study this but like think of a brazilian online culture is just they're so good at being fans yeah you know that was like a meme for a long time of like under any musician's music video the top comment is come to brazil yeah. you know and like radiohead's largest concerts have all been in brazil like they just know how to cheer <laughs> they know how to celebrate stuff they know how to like things yeah um but yeah mermaids are the cheerleaders of the sea so yeah that's the anti-mermaids thing it's it's like a jokey slogan that everyone kind of get behind. It's like, it's, if you're going to have a subculture, you have to have like an agreed upon, if not a value system, at least like commonly shared opinions. Yeah. You know, 
Actually, now that I think about it, there was actually an English one as well, the Sea Punk. I think that I might still be in it, actually. I haven't checked in years, but it was kind of dead by the time I joined. And yeah, so the one on the right is actually from the general English speaking Sea um, Punk community. The next slide is of Grimes. No, it's actually of her wearing a, a mainframe shirt. So Loki Grimes was affiliated with the Sea Punks. There's oh, pictures wow. of them hanging out. Mm-hmm. But she's had such a wild life that it, I'm sure it gets buried and like Grimes fans don't even know. Oh, yeah. No, it's like it'd be easier to count the th- like the weird internet things she wasn't a part of. You know, <laughs> she just like she just touches everything basically. Yeah. Um, now we're going to get to the first songs that started to come out. So the title Ray VP, I think, might have been first. That was pretty early. But then also Ultra Demon released the song You're So Wet. And this music video is actually made by Kevin Heckart. You can see that it's the same as all the still images that are produced. But this one, it's worth like watching to as well as listening to just to get a sense. But yeah, so that music video has some Greek columns and a lot of C-Punk essentials. A lot of his other music videos were made with help from Kevin Heckart. And then we have a song by Zambel and Merkaba. Merkaba, I don't know anything about them, but Zambel tended to create her music with some degree of collaboration. And I actually like her songs quite a lot. I think that it's between her and Unicorn Kid as to which of the two are my favorite. I really like this song too. Yeah, so the background music, I think, was created by Merkaba. She just helped with the lyrics and then sung the song. Another one of her songs, Tropocalypse, she's actually singing over a picture plain beat. So, mm-hmm. yeah, she wasn't as like musically inclined, I think. It took more work for her to release the songs that she did, but they're pretty good. Yeah, so I think by way of, yeah, once the aesthetic kind of reached, it's like you could just pick it out of a crowd, basically. And it had a music like as well to go with it, it actually like reached something approaching mainstream, if not fame, but like recognition and caught the attention of culture writers and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. One popular song that sounds C-punk to me, but I don't know if other mm. people notice it is what do you mean by Justin Bieber? That is like a C-punk beat. Oh, doesn't he have steel drums in there? Well, yeah, that's awesome. probably why. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's it always steel drums either read as like C-punk or Mario Kart. To me, I would say. Or Jamaican, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So next in the slideshow, we have a section for slime punk. And so slime punk was sort of happening concurrently with C Punk. It wasn't that C Punk ended and Slime Punk started. As I mentioned, Zambell created Slime Punk as an idea, probably through Twitter, it then caught on, people played around with it. And so there wasn't as much slime punk stuff that was ever put out there. There's honestly not there's very little of it. Most of the things that are slime punk happen to be so coincidentally, like images of celebrities being slimed at the Kids' Choice Awards 
or like stoner-esque artwork that has slime dripping on it. Um, yeah. But there are some good pictures of some outfits that are intentionally slime punk in slide 39. Although actually that top in the middle with the the slime dripping off the back, like it's a racer back, I think. That's Katy Perry Loki. She wore that to the <laughs> Kids' Choice Awards. Whoa, a slime-inspired yeah. garment. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think this, this aesthetic is like it's trying to be abrasive and aggressive and in your face. Like it's not really trying to be beautiful in any sense. And I think that C-Punk actually is like reaching for a kind of beauty and yeah. serenity. Like it's it doesn't wear on you in the way that like I'm getting tired just looking at the slime punk thing. There's something about like the the red on the green. I don't know. Well, I, I made the oh, oh you, you added the text, red, yeah. But, uh-huh. yeah. but yeah, there's stuff like oh like the melting slime SpongeBob with pentagram eyes. Like yeah, this is like stuff you'd expect to find printed on like a tab of acid. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, this is yeah, not it's something that that's one thing I didn't like about this time period is like people would wear a lot of clothing with like inverted crosses, not even if like sea punks, but just people in mass Indy in general, oh, like yeah. Brooke Candy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Inverted crosses were huge at the time. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, as you can see in another slide, there's some examples of things shared on Tumblr that were both sea punk and uh, mm-hmm. slime punk. Like there's a tie dye shirt with like a dripping yin yang, very much a, a cross of both. And then, um, to wrap up slime punk, Leaf also had like a slime punk stint as well. And someone interviewed him and asked, um, you've been pr- a pretty big factor in the C-punk scene as well. With the rise of slime punk, does this mean C-punk is on the way out? And then Leaf said, it's still wet, <laughs> but the water is contaminated. It's the sound of the apocalypse. Utopia needs dystopia. We have room for both types. Ooh, that's very interesting. Yeah, yeah this is like... C-Punk, of course, came first as this, like, optimistic, like, serene thing. But, I don't know, maybe they're just reflecting, like, because we're reaching, like, the... Yeah, you're doing stuff that looks cool and then making up an explanation later. It's yeah, what a lot of artists do. I shouldn't think too hard. Yeah. God, he's such, got such an intense look to him. <laughs> it's just eyes at the camera. Gay um, eyes. Gay eyes. Gay as well. <laughs> and then we also have Ice Punk on here, which kind of... It's such a simple like pivot off of it. Like, what if it was all frozen? Um, But yeah, and so it goes for this more like, yeah, just like an icy, frosty, more iridescent kind of thing. Yeah. Ice Punk was very small. It was not really a thing. The idea was coined and didn't really take off. Uh, But I do think that there's another Leaf quote in slide 48 that's really interesting and will tie into what he's mentioned in other parts of the presentation. But Someone asked him, what are your predictions for the next internet-inspired aesthetic movement? There's rumors of ice punk and tree punk going around. And then Leaf responded, they all already exist. Every color, every Pokemon type. <laughs> yeah, I think the Pokemon type is a very powerful part of its like success. I think we love to sort. We want things to be of different types. I don't know, and like just the standard four elements are always going to bore people. People want like weirder stuff. I yeah. always thought, like, I always wondered if the Pokemon types like translate well. Like maybe they make more sense in Japanese or something because normal type, fighting type, yeah. poison type always sounded so like strange to me. Like something was yeah. missing there. They just didn't feel, yeah, and then ground, but then also having rock type. Like yeah. <laughs> I was like, is there, do they sort things differently in Japan in a way that like they're kind of like scratching their head and how to express it in English? I, so. I do know that for psychic type, that's the case. Like psychic in Japanese translates more to like energy or light. It has more positive connotations, which is why mm-hmm. like 
Umbreon and Espeon were paired together. Like they're kind of good and evil, sort of in a yin yang way. I think that's why they like affect each other the way they do in the Pokemon type chart. Mm -hmm. But you asked me later, you asked me in the docket what Pokemon type I would be. And I think mm -hmm. psychic. Hmm. That's interesting. I, I actually, as we were talking about the ice type thing, I, I kind of like, Oh no, I know steel. I yeah. thought that was so cool when they introduced that. That like that seems such a classic. Oh man, people are gonna hate on us for being cringe for talking about Pokemon on this. We're two 27 year old men <laughs> talking about this, but I don't know. I just love those ones. I like the <laughs> I like when it was a bird made of metal. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, like Skarmory is really cool. Yeah, I liked. Um, I don't know. I was very drawn to those. The kind of like I've always just liked metals, <laughs> precious metals and things, and silver has always been big for me. They just always felt like sleek, cool, tough, but also clean, I think. Yeah. Have I told you about, I mean, I would, I put steel second as, and the docket is like what else I might be, but I've ever told the story on the pod about the time a woman told me my aura was silver. Oh. Well, no, I was working as a substitute at a library branch where I was teaching people computers and this woman, I was talking to her about my life and I was like, oh, I'm a student. And then she was like, oh, what do you study? And I was like, art. And she was like, oh yes, you're a metal worker. And I was like, how did you know that? And she told me it was because I had silver in my aura. Wow. Yeah. Not that I'm, not that I'm as credit. much of a believer in auras, but that was like crazy. And I felt mm -hmm. really seen. I've had a few <laughs> moments like that with library patrons where like they'll just start telling me things about myself and I'll be like, oh, wow. wow. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. You truly do have like an access to the stream of interesting people. Yeah. But yeah, um, but no, I love this quote by Leaf. I think that you'll also, again, see this in his career because later he did an album that he said was like dark and psychic and then another mm -hmm. one that was very clearly flying themed. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's an interesting th way to think about how to innovate your creative practice. Yeah. So yeah, then we can talk about the kind of the rise and the visibility of C-Punk. It's kind of, I don't know, it's Zenith in the public sphere. Um, yeah. Yeah, the first thing that got them traction was the first magazine article that was published, and it was published in a British magazine called Super Super. And it was well-received. I think they liked getting the attention. But then soon after that, there was a New York Times article written about them that it's started a real short to... short one. It's a real, like, short clip of an article. It's not a full-on, like, expose. It's just more of, like, a, a brief cultural observation, I would say. Also, the, the picture they used is just of Ultra Demon wearing, like, a gingham shirt. It doesn't even really look that cool. No, it's, yeah. But yeah, this sort of is where the origin of the idea that C-Punk isn't real and C-Punk is a joke and it's a meme comes from. Mm -hmm. It was specifically this article. And they noticed immediately afterwards, they were like, I don't think this went well because Zambell made a tweet where she said, LOL at interviewers who actually asked, can you tell me what C-Punk is? This is how you know the article is probably going to be bad. So yeah, they were skeptical <laughs> immediately. Oh man, back when there was actually like Twitter, like character limits that were meaningfully small. So the, what is that's how you know the article is probably going to be rel bad. I guess rel doesn't save any <laughs> numbers, but yeah, um, man. Yeah, but some, a quote or two from the article are like lolcats and pedo bear. It is an inside web joke that feeds off its own ridiculousness. <laughs> yeah. And then here they mention Azealia Banks. A rapper from Harlem is the rare notable who has publicly praised C-Punk. She wore green hair, name-checked the genre on Twitter, and has described herself as a mermaid. But Miss Beast dissed Miss Banks, too, 
Mermaids are vicious harpies who lure sailors to their death, she said, <laughs> scorn cresting in her voice. I would be careful about getting in any kind of beef with Azalea Banks. Let me tell yeah. you, I would never say anything publicly bad about Azalea Banks, no matter how small I am. I yeah. feel like she'll find you. I know. If, if you look at like any list of like everyone she's had beef with, it's like yeah. crazy. I, the Wikipedia article is fascinating. Like just yeah. of her, like the Irish. She hates yeah. the Irish. The entire nation of Ireland. Yeah. Yeah. You know, maybe we should actually try and like attract her ire to get some more eyes on the pod. I think that'd be good. I just wonder what she'd say about me. We just have to say we yeah. love her music. And then she'll berate <laughs> us. Yeah. No, that's how it works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just, I wonder like, you were saying like when you feel seen, like when people just kind of have that off the cuff assessment of you, like I think if I really got roasted by Azalea Banks, I'd like learn something new about myself of like how, how I register subconsciously to people. She's tapped into something. Yeah. But yeah, I think that Azalea Banks was just trying to have fun when mm -hmm. she became C-Punk. But like, this is actually one of probably the farthest examples of like her acting out and being pissed off at someone because she later did what were called mermaid balls, which were voguing events where people mm -hmm. would win prizes and we'll, her music video will come up later. But I mean, the sea punk stuff that she was feuding over probably isn't even on the, the Wikipedia page, but it's like the far, the farthest I think I've ever seen her go as a hater. <laughs> yeah. Man. Um, and then I went straight into sea punk's death i don't know that's a little <laughs> bit dramatic yeah i guess it's because in the following slide you can see that there was an uptick and then a bit of a lull before there's mm -hmm. later um another uptick so there was this period um this is probably around when i found c-punk where in that lull was when i was getting engaged with it but yeah mm -hmm. I, I don't think it was that it's death yet it yeah. clearly wasn't so that spike must be from november 2012 it's yeah. rihanna's snl performance so she no 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 uh, that's this was actually the uh, New York Times article. Oh, that was the Times article? Yeah. Because I, I know you wrote in the docket, like, there were a few months before. Mm -hmm. The two things, but there actually wasn't. It was in the same week. I oh, was, wow. like, alive during that week. I remember <laughs> them being very close together. This was big in the community. Yeah. But, yeah, so, like, more you know, visibility for it. That Rihanna playing on SNL in front of a green screen, and they played these, like, C-punk graphics in the background. She didn't change her songs any, you know? And her outfit wasn't particularly C-punk in any way. Um, so yeah, it was just kind of like, just kind of borrowing the aesthetics for a single performance. Uh -huh. Yeah. The aesthetic of the backdrop behind her was very much influenced by Kevin Heckart. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't really watch SNL. I don't really find it funny. Um, but yeah. I do think it's interesting how like SNL performances are this kind of like center stage for cultural stuff, like Sinead O'Connor tearing up a photo of the Pope and stuff yeah. like that um we're recording this during the super bowl right now we're both missing the super bowl we're yeah. such big fans so it's really it's really hurting us yeah um, go hawks <laughs> exactly um yeah. but no i'm not like an anti-sports guy i just particularly the super bowl just kind of like perturbs me yeah but the super bowl halftime shows are always like such a we were talking about this before we started recording but like it's also the like the most center stage. Like it's one performance supposed to like kind of like gesture vaguely to what's been happening in America over the past year and kind of like wrap it all up and say something. It's interesting. I think I think it's a useful thing. I think that we do like need a television event where every American is looking at it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, Outside of Super Bowl games, I think one of the most watched televised events is the State of the Union. That's interesting. I, I, like that feels like we're appealing to our higher, you know, our, our higher purpose there. Yeah, I just know like the most viewed thing on television ever was the finale to Mash. 
Yeah. Yeah, nothing's come close to that. But yeah, um, so the same week that Rihanna did her performance of Diamonds live on SNL, the, a few days later, Azealia Banks released her music video for Atlantis. We'll play a bit of that song here. So I don't actually think Atlantis is a good song. Um, on Thought Topics, a podcast that I really like, they mentioned how Azealia Banks will rap over very ridiculous beats and she'll like ride it and ride it and ride it. And you'll be mm -hmm. like, I'm impressed that you pull that off. But yeah, also but it's not, not good. that yeah. good. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But this music video is good in terms of aesthetics. Like there's some things going on in it. Like the bindi that she's wearing is sort of in reference to Gwen Stefani and other mm. pop stars in the 90s who do the same thing. Yeah. So yeah, it was it was like hitting a lot of notes that clearly someone with an attention to detail uh, did a good job with the styling for her music video, but it's not that great of a song. The rest of the album, Fantasy, though, is really great. Like I was listening to part of it today, and I think it's maybe her my favorite work of hers. Mm. Yeah. I'm very unfamiliar with her actual like music i should get more into it i've never heard two and two probably have oh, okay i just don't know then maybe yeah. maybe you do know but yeah afterwards kevin hackart produced two works of art one involving rihanna the other involving azealia banks the rihanna one's just fun there's like diamond rings and sharks and she's floating in an orb and then the azealia one just says like who the f is azalea like they were they're <laughs> pissed at her because i mean for her to be a mermaid on the cover of fantasy was intentionally her trying to like stir up drama with C-Punk people, <laughs> which is funny because I wouldn't be surprised if she's like argued with foreign heads of state by this point. Like, yeah. why mm. was she preoccupied with this? She needs it. <laughs> That's why <laughs> she thrives on the conflict. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, on her song, one of the things she said is like, I took the blue out the sea and put the blue in the weave. And then why you been running your mouth all loud and woke and free on SS Island when I don't mention you. And I heard way of word when I was in New York, New York. It's just funny to hear you read in AAV. I have to say, oh, I don't think I pulled that off, but yeah. So yeah, that resulted in C-Punk's second big spike and its last big spike. Oh. Um, it was these two things happening within a week. One thing I want to bring up here next is, do you see slide 74? It's a group of some C-Punk and non-C-Punk people. Mm -hmm. So, I actually saw the guy in the orange and the girl with blue hair on the train. And I, mm. as like an excited, fervent high schooler, I could tell that they're a mass indie. Like <laughs> the aesthetic they have is not C-Punk. But I was like, I feel like they know them. And then later I checked Twitter or Instagram and I saw this picture. Yeah. Which is oh. wild. It's like, I just have this gut feeling like these people on the train are associated with C-Punks. And so here they are hanging out with Zambel. Turns out they did. And I know a few of the other people in this image. Like on the left, there's Zane Curtis, who is wearing like Juggalo makeup. He um, why is he doing that? He uh, he did not dress like a Juggalo all the time. Right. He's a local guy. He went by the name Teen Witch Fan Club. That was his like made up name. Mm -hmm. And he was a DJ. And he was like very mass indie. Now today, like I still look at his Instagram occasionally, and it's just like gay art <laughs> they really toned it down um and then across from them there's the guy in blue who it looks at, he looks a bit c-punk here and that's teen witch slash zane curtis's ex-boyfriend and then at the bottom right there's maluka and then i don't know who the guy in the white is but yeah this was another close call 
And <laughs> this also shows like the spectrum of the mass energy umbrella. But yeah, all of these people, like individually, you would not be able to tell they're like mass indie. But when you see even two of them together, you, yeah. you're able to tell. Mm-hmm. And so this is in Chicago. And using my like, <laughs> I have this weird thing when I see photos inside of restaurants. Like I always try and like figure out where it is. Yeah. But you can see on the menu there that this was, I forget the exact name of it, but it was this like small chain of like 1950s-esque diners. They had one in Rogers Park and they had one on Belmont over by Does, the does it not exist now? Station. Yeah. Oh, I want to bring that up for the listeners. Do you see that low rumble in the back? Or do you hear that low rumble in the back? That's actually the Chicago L. I've been meaning to say this on several episodes, but the sound that you hear is not like, it's not like an appliance that we turned on. <laughs> We're near an elevated train line, the brown line. And so when you hear those rumbles, that's what that sound is. Mm-hmm. It's nice. It's a little, yeah, proof that we're always here in Chicago. Hmm. What next? What next? You just have cool photos on here. It's really like the Japanese thing. <laughs> Wait, what Japanese thing? I don't know. Just like. Oh, yeah. So. I can get into this. Mm-hmm. So basically this is just documenting what Leaf and Unicorn Kid were doing after C-Punk. So they made like a clean exit before actually both Azealia Banks and Rihanna made C-Punk famous for a week. They kind of bowed out after um, the New York Times article or shortly after. Although they said like, oh, I stayed, wish I stayed around for this because it was talked about quite a lot for like a month. But... Leaf then transitioned into the flying type aesthetic for a bit that he made up for his album Coins. Although it looks more like, I guess that album is called Coins, but at the same time he did a music video called Soda that I think was from one of the mixtapes or albums he did that was a bit C-punk. I don't think it sounds very C-punk, but it's still like cool to see. And then Unicorn Kid, he started to adopt health goths aesthetic Mm. around 2013 which this was before anyone coined the word health goth so it's sort of like c-punk where like these images started circulating Mm -hmm. and then people eventually found a term that was good enough to describe it and so he's in a picture here on slide 88 with alice peleshi maybe it might be pronounced like alice peleshi she's british she's one of those people that was part of mass indie who i just get nostalgic thinking about Mm. because i still follow her on instagram but now she's just like into traveling and very much a normie. <laughs> but she's in like a bunch of different projects online. Like she was a photographer. She like was in a music video called I'm Not a Baller where there's all these chavs on, what do you call it? The standing things. Segways? Yeah, where they're all on, all these chavs on segways. And yeah, I just feel sad for like a lot of the these people. Chavs, like the British, like lower class ruffian kind of people. I haven't thought about chavs in a second. Yeah. I think we forget about them nowadays. Yeah. Although I think we talked about Lady Severin because someone called them Chavish. Oh, wait, no. (laughs) This was on Discord somewhere. But yeah, I don't know. Just both him and her, especially in this photograph, because Unicorn Kid, eventually he just drops out of music altogether. I think he had a life crisis or something. Mm -hmm. And he's now a graphic designer, but he has pretty much no online presence. Like his Instagram has no pictures. He deleted the few that he had on there. But yeah, it just makes me sad that these people lived such romantic, dreamy lives that were so creative. And then now they like just are full-blown normies. Who, um, <laughs> I don't know. It's sad. I wish that their lives remained as beautiful as they did during this period. Yeah, I think that's, I don't know. It's like you can't be 
a punk forever. Like you can't do it forever. It's interesting for me because I never, I never got to have this phase. I guess I was always pretty much on the straight and narrow. I was never part of a, you know, online dissident culture. (laughs) I don't know. I kind of wish I stayed in C-punk and never stopped because it was just so like fun. Um, but if I guess I was the only one still yeah, doing it. Yeah, if you were the it. only one doing it, you'd just be like a like a Japanese holdout in the war. Yeah. Like, just, like, stick it to your guns. Um, I don't know. I've thought about, like, trying to be more mass indie again. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I, I guess I've always been a bit arm's length, which helps me be able to analyze it like this. Mm-hmm. Like, if I was yeah. truly a member, I wouldn't get as much of an edict perspective. Edict meaning, like, when you look at culture from the outside yeah. and emic being from the inside. The edict perspective is oftentimes undervalued in today's world. We don't, we see like native perspectives as being more important, but there is something that you can notice from being a bit more outside of things as opposed to being in it. Like, yeah, yeah, I was Mm -hmm. able to really capture everything going on pretty well at this time. But yeah, so after this image of Unicorn Kid and Alice Pelishi, there's just these pictures that are essentially proto health goth that I pulled from Unicorn Kid's Tumblr. But yeah, they're really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a lot of uh, Japanese font and cityscapes, nighttime photography. Yeah. Reminds me of Young Lean a lot, I'll say. His whole aesthetic is definitely, you know, in this health goth. And he's got his own thing. His Adidas is Arizona green tea kind of stuff. But um, yeah. yeah. But yeah, then as we get to, towards the end of the, the slide deck, I was just documenting like some of the brands and what they were doing at this point. So Mainframe was still producing shirts. Also, we kind of skipped over this, but on slide 73, there's a picture of like Mainframe shirts. Um, I have one of them actually at home, as I mentioned. I wish I bought more at the time, but someone in this picture, there's four people wearing these shirts. One of them I worked with at American Apparel. And so he was able to provide insight for me as to what like the founders of Mass Indie were like, because he Mm. personally knew Leaf he knew the C-Punk founders. Mm-hmm. He hung out with Maluka. Like all of these people, he had an insight into them. And when he met me, I was still pretty young and yeah. still really loved C-Punk. And I was like, oh, I love it. How do you know these people? And he'd be like, you don't get it. Like this is kind of a joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think you were so much younger than like yeah. everyone involved in I'm, it. I'm also just gen- generally very credulous. I like <laughs> take things at face value. You do. You do. <laughs> I feel like I've had to like intercept someone's joke sometimes because you'll like believe it. And I'm like, no, <laughs> they're joking. <laughs> yeah, I can't but tell. No. Like someone told me a few months ago that they were at January 6th. But no, I was just scared. Like I didn't want to get them caught online because they were mm-hmm. saying it somewhere. I but think yeah. credulous is a good thing to be sometimes. Um, I don't know. I always say that like, <laughs> not. I don't always say this, but I've noticed that I'm not a very suspicious person. Yeah, I don't really start like thinking of people's mind games and like seeing things like I just I don't know I don't try and get into people's minds too much in that way I just kind of assume people have if not the best intentions then just like you know regular lightly self-interested intentions I just I don't know I've noticed in other people they have those like oh I bet he did that because he is actually planning something and wants this and I'm like how can you even think that far ahead like I'm just just trying to deal with things as they come yeah I had a bad interaction with someone who was not good intentions at all today. Oh. <laughs> As I was going to work, um, someone called me several things, um, including slurs <laughs> <laughs> relating. He accused me of being um, redneck Jewish and gay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah You're I was only not, one of those things. Yeah. He was just yeah. trying to. He was scatter it. Yeah. He yeah. was shotgunning it. And he was, one of them was going to stick. 
You know? Yeah. So um, that was not nice. Yeah. Can't believe the Jews were on his were in his sights that day. I guess. I think he referred to me as a Jewish b-word. Jewish. <laughs> Man, yeah. you've experienced more anti-Semitism than I have. <laughs> I tell you. Yeah. Um, so that was not good vibes. But yeah, yeah I do think being credulous is. I'm okay with it, except like when someone's joking and I actually take action and I'm like, come on, like <laughs> I, I should have known you were, you weren't being serious, but yeah. 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 You're lucky that I'm not a big prankster. <laughs> I guess I could, I could easily pull pranks on you, but yeah. Yeah. Also later in the presentation, there's some slides for a time play, which Kevin Huckart had a design that he produced for them. That's on, oh, that one actually isn't, um, anyway. But yeah, there's another slide that has a dress that was designed by Kevin Heckart that has some cats on it, I think. But yeah, and then one of the last things I think that was produced to document C-Punk culture was there was something produced by MTCV called Don't Call It Tumblr Wave. And then there was also like a Weird Vibes episode that I think was their last episode that was on C-Punk. So these document C-Punk speaking in video format, which there aren't that many mm-hmm. examples of. Um, but yeah, that's one of the last things that was produced to document the aesthetic before things really unraveled for good. Mm -hmm. But we can get into sort of like a vague oral explanation of like how C-Punk ended and what those people are doing now. But before I do that, there's some slides here at the end, which at the time it was me just like, why does this matter? The first slide covering that section is basically, it's just a screenshot of like news articles that have the word C-Punk in them. And they're from like a bunch of different languages. And then after that, there's a graph from Google Trends that compares C-Punk to emo to hipster to punk to goth. And <laughs> C-Punk at no point breaches 0%. Uh-huh. So it was a very niche aesthetic. I mean, I guess that's why people said it wasn't real. But emo was the most popular one, uh, at least you know during this time when mm-hmm. I took the screenshot from 2005 to 2013. And it peaked around like 2007, which checks out. So I think that this was accurate. Yeah. I wonder what it would be like now if I typed these in. I'm sure that like all of them have declined. Yeah, but I think that like, I don't know, there's going to be nostalgia for these eras. I feel like every so often you'll see nostalgia for like Vaporwave now that feels so fully over. Um, yeah. Yeah, people want to look back. Yeah, um, and then I just included two pictures from Hot Topic and The Gap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, clearly- once it gets down to there, once it's at Hot Topic and The Gap, then, you know. Yeah. Uh, those are the last things I included in the slideshow, but I actually had a student in the last year at the Art Foundation that I work at who was C-Punk, believe it or not. Whoa. I was like, are you C-Punk? And she's like, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's such a funny thing to ask. I'm like, are you? <laughs> like, yeah. It's like asking someone. Asking like a 13 year old girl. Um, but yeah, they, they found it through TikTok. And oh. I was like, oh, have you ever heard C-Punk music? And they were like, no. And so I, then I played like, Boys of Paradise on YouTube for the class so she could see the music video. Mm-hmm. Then I played Fantasy by Azealia Banks so she could see that too. She never saw either of them. So I was like, I better. You're, you're an elder C punk teaching a young acolyte C punk. Yeah. No, I think we were both just confused. Like, how do you know about this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I didn't even get it. Like, mm-hmm. she was actually doing it pretty well. Like, she, um, she was black. She had like very tiny braids that were pink. Um, oh, wow. And then she had like a clam purse that she carried no, around. Oh, that's good. That's yeah. Good. But no, she was executing it very well. Like, I feel like there are so many, so many more options to get affordable 
outfits now. Mm-hmm. At the time that I was see punk, it was like thrifted or American Apparel, and like that's all well, I can now do. It's, yeah, thrifting or Shein. <laughs> yeah, um, my coworkers buy from Shein a lot. I never have, but yeah, I don't know. I guess I've tried to type in TikTok C-Punk stuff after I saw her because I was so confused <laughs> and I didn't see enough content to be like, oh, this is how she found it. But I'm, it's still a mystery to me. Yeah, that's... And I'm sure I'm a mystery to her still. Like, how did he know about that? Mm-hmm. I know I won't, let, I won't let myself get on TikTok, but I am curious. Like, I mean, every little aesthetic does get just kind of like picked up briefly by the TikTok cycle, but I'm sure there's like some people that really stand out in their mind. Like, I need to know more about this. I need to research the lore of this. I need to get fully into it. I think other people with the kind of approach that you have, a kind of yeah, yeah. completionist sort of like, yeah. get to the core of this. It's, it's probably really hard now to try to sort through this stuff because I, I know that some articles are down, some videos aren't available. Yeah, I almost want to get like all of these images uploaded somewhere because I don't think they're largely available online, but that would take a lot of work. I'll think about it in the future. Because mm-hmm. like even within the slide on like hairstyles or like the slide on yin yang symbols, like those pictures, some of them, the only place they exist now is the slideshow. And they're not that big. They're like shrunk down. So mm-hmm. I would love to see these images circulate again, but we sadly don't have a good platform for that anymore. We want a platform that's largely in motion. Like even Instagram now is tr- largely trying to push reels on us. So yeah. like people don't get to spend time with single images like they used to and start to fantasize about what a larger world that that picture is a part of could be like. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is something that children experience where they, as long as they're a bit detached from technology, they'll look at all the objects in their home mm-hmm. and they'll look at those objects compulsively for like an hour every other day. And they'll start to imagine narratives about them. And I think there's something with the internet at the time where people's attention spans were a bit more focused yeah. and they could like imbibe themselves in these environments created by Kevin Harkard or listen to this music and be inspired to make more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just, I don't know. It's so, I'm getting pretty wistful for this period I wasn't even a part of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what's crazy when you get nostalgic for something that was based around nostalgia. Like Vaporwave, yeah. for example. Mm-hmm. Like, you get that second tier kind of. Yeah, nostalgia for nostalgia. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it is kind of wild. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I can get into now what's been new with the C-Punks who used to be C-Punk. So Ultra Demon again is trans now. Changed their name to Lily. Um, something to bring up is I almost saw her DJ at my friend's house in 2016. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Still out there DJing. Because, you know, I went to art school and someone's boyfriend was a DJ and was having fun DJing with Lily. And then they actually, my friend, they broadcast a live performance in their house uh-huh. from Ultra Demon. And that's just wild. Like, I'm sad that I didn't get to do that because I don't think any of them, any of them live in Chicago anymore. Ultra Demon, I'm not sure where they are. Shan Beast is in Kansas City, or no, California or something. And then Kevin Heckart is in Kansas City. But yeah, I don't know if we'll ever get to cross paths with them again. But... Zambel slash Shen is actually following me on Instagram now. <laughs> They've been following me for a few years. I like, I wanted to just follow them as like a personal hero of mine. <laughs> because for the longest time, it's like the people I would be excited to meet are like random politicians, random internet famous people, mm-hmm. podcasters. Like I wouldn't get excited at all meeting like a sports athlete or mm-hmm. anyone who's a pop star. Although meeting Lady Gaga and her mom was fun. <laughs> I, I don't know. I've, I, celebrity encounters like intimidate me. <laughs> I met Ed Cohen, who's like the greatest power lifter 
in the world. And I really looked up to him and he yeah. was just like lifting in this gym uh, in Bridgeport in Chicago. I just like, <laughs> he must be able to tell that I was just like fucking wired. <laughs> it's just like, oh my God, like yeah. this guy's a hero. Did he say uh, something first? Oh, uh, he just gave me pointers and stuff. And I like tried to, he like introduced himself and I was like, I know who you are. <laughs> like, I'm like, yeah, I'm good. But yeah, that's nice that he talked to you. He was, yeah. he was, he was not rooted out enough to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's like in his sixties or so now, but yeah. So I think that the roids have wore down on, on him a bit, but um, yeah, it was just so cool to see him like still, still moving yeah. weight, still working out. And I remember you met someone who did musicals or you did that song from the Muppets. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, I met uh, Paul Williams at a Shake Shack, um, and he was one of my musical heroes as well. Um, he wrote music for the Muppets, but he also did really cool collaborations with Daft Punk, and that's actually like what I brought up brought up to him. He did this musical, Phantom of the Paradise, that I really liked, and that really inspired the guys um, in Daft Punk. And so I just like said to him, I like approached him, introduced myself, and just instantly kind of like <laughs> respectfully gushed. Where I was just like, I love Phantom of the Paradise. I watch it all the time. I listen to the album and all that. And he's like, Yeah, like. Like, it's a great album. It's so cool that people like that. Like, you know what inspired Daft Punk? I'm like, yeah, and you made songs with them. And we, like, talked about that for a bit. I don't know. Yeah. It was just so cool to meet him, um, even if I was maybe being a little bit cringe. But he seemed very appreciative, I will say. He was very confused by the um, the tablet ordering system at Shake Shack. He was very confused by the ordering system at Shake Shack, which is yeah. just, like, that's nothing to do with his celebrity. That's just him being, like, you know, a, a man in his 70s. <laughs> like, it's just, yeah. it, it was very humanizing, though, like, and they're just like us for real. <laughs> yeah. And then Leaf now goes by Khalif, which is his God-given name. Mm -hmm. And he's had the most successful music career from everyone else that we've been listing off. But I've never actually been into his music as much. I think he had a banger with What Is What. I love that song. Mm -hmm. But everything else like has never been that that great. There's another song from Dark York that I like too, but there's really just those two. And then Oliver Sabine, formerly Unicorn Kid, again, is like kind of in graphic design, but I think you just had burnout. But I feel <laughs> I feel worse for the people that like have no creative career now, as opposed to the ones that are still in it a bit. I really wish that like all these people just got to stay this way forever because I feel like it, it made me happier and I imagine it made them happier too. I feel like graphic designer is a good outcome for these. <laughs> yeah. It's still a little bit creative, but you're still putting money and food on the table and all that. Um, it's interesting that this was so centered in Chicago. I think you can thank Chicago's cheap housing yeah. for that, you know, that you can just be like a creative in a niche subculture without a well-paying job and still, you know, just live with a few roommates. Yeah. Not yeah. But no, I, I made the face just now because of that account um, called Northwest MCM Wholesale. And all of their memes lately have been about graphic designers. Like they're the first thing that comes up <laughs> on his account is called mass murderer or bisexual graphic designer from Portland. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, there definitely are Dahmer's on here. I don't recognize mm -hmm. the other ones, but some of them have to be like normal guys. Yeah. But anyway, that's like been the, been the butt of his jokes lately is graphic designers, mm -hmm. but it kind of comes and goes as to like what he's making fun of. Like <laughs> he recently was making fun of Stanley cups and you know, just yeah. whatever's trending. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, graphic designers are like an interesting like, I don't know, because they're, are they of the managerial class? No, but they are white collar. Are they creative? I guess. <laughs> like yeah. uh, someone said that like in the gentrification cycle, which, you know, I always express my like, I don't super believe in gentrification, um, but like first come the artists, then the graphic designers and they're like, <laughs> the graphic designers are the shock troops to prepare the ground for the bankers is what they say. 
Yeah, um, which is a good transition because Kevin Hackart is a graphic designer currently. Mm-hmm. I feel like of all these people, if I ever tried to contact them to talk about C-Punk, none of them would be up for it. The only one who might is Kevin Hackart. I yeah. feel like, but yeah, I know that like Ultra Demon and Zimbel, they both were dating. So like to think about this yeah, time. Yeah, it's wrapped up in like a lot of personal stuff for them. So to talk yeah. about that period is to talk about that. Really like I was told by the friend who knew Ultra Demon to not talk to her about C-Punk if I ever were to meet her. Oh, wow. Yeah. They were like, no, she like does not want to think about it. Um, oh, even though their hair was still blue. So <laughs> like, yeah. Interesting. Um, but yeah, I think he's he, like for him, he on his website, he has a very small section where he talks about what he did with C-Punk. But it used to be you could like look at his individual images Works, and download yeah. them. But like yeah. you can't do that anymore. Yeah. And so the future, not the it's not much of a future for C-Punk, but what happened after C-Punk? Is it, you know, kind of thinly spread and it turned into vaporwave and then that was kind of how it survived into like broad, I don't know glitch internet aesthetics i think Uh, you can say it survived until 2014 but even that might be generous because i think pretty much exited around that point Mm -hmm. but anyway i do think it could become popular again i do think that right now with the supply chain system that we have putting out garments that are hyper detailed is as easy as ever like i've had this theory for a while that like in between american manufacturing and then offshoring to china they didn't really know how to make clothing that was that high quality or complex in China for a while. Like they had to get their bearings. And now I think that like, you know, if there was a micro trend on TikTok where people started talking about C-Punk, Xi'an could produce that stuff in like two weeks yeah. and then mm-hmm. it could be available to consumers in like two weeks. Yeah. And um, yeah, I do think that it will have its day again. I think so. I, I mean, I don't even practice what I preach though. It's like, <laughs> I've always had this fascination with mass indie. Although... In many ways, I wonder if any of this stuff is really happening anymore. I mean, you see, like, on TikTok, there'll be, like, a random thing that pops up, like, Brocat or Coquette or, like, you know, Russian Bimbo Core. Like, there <laughs> are these, like, genres that do pop up, but I don't think any of them take themselves as seriously as C-Punk ever did. <laughs> like, the rules that they made were so specific. I, I really am trying to get a handle on that. Of, like, they say it was a joke, but then they enforce the rules so strictly, but we're, was enforcing the rules a joke as well? Um, yeah. I think it, it might have come out of necessity in the sense of like, no, your mermaid or sailor's outfit is a different type of aquatic. Yeah, it's not the one we're looking of, for. Yeah. Yeah. Like I think that the, the sea punk aesthetic is very like Caribbean mm-hmm. and it's in like a 90s desktop way. Yeah. That's what it is at its core. Yeah. I think that's a good explanation of it. I think that like, yeah, by the end, like once, once it lost the water and things became more abstracted, I think the color pink, the vaporwave pink that really shows you're getting away from it. Yeah. Japanese text as well. Then that's also like a step too far as well. And even if there's a dolphin in it, the dolphin does not make it like, like, it has to have more than just that. I feel like if there's a dolphin, it's like metallic. It's not blue. Yeah. No, I can see that. Yeah. But yeah, I actually have a friend who was a vaporwave musician who I once interviewed in high school for a magazine where it was called like interview with a vaporwaver. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. Yeah. But no, he's someone I've thought about having on. I don't, Mm -hmm. I feel like he'd be less inclined to talk about that because he's now more into like pure techno, but -hmm. he might be a good guest because like vaporwave, I, I was never that into it, but like I know enough that like we could do an episode. Mm -hmm. 
All right. Do you have any final thoughts on I C-Punk? I don't have any final thoughts other than just I, I'm fascinated by like how frozen in time this is. Like looking at all these photos, I just this was and also seeing how small the world was and how it centered around these like, you know, four or five people. Yes, I'm sure these Facebook groups and Tumblrs had lots of people. I'm sure there were people like in far flung excerpts dressing C-Punk and, yeah. you know, feeling misunderstood. Um, so that fascinates me. But, but this is just it's. I think it becomes a very human story at the end of it. We're like, oh yeah, these people then like moved on with their lives and you know, you can't, you can't stay a C-Punk forever. I don't know. People remain slobs forever. It's possible. <laughs> but I do get sad about impermanence when you're faced with the reality of things being impermanent. Mm -hmm. But there's always ways to skirt around it and convince yourself that things can't last forever. <laughs> yeah, I think that that's yeah. why you have a need to like, you know, catalog. Is it because that it will always live forever um, yeah that's true yeah to have like a life's work yeah no i'm really glad i'm gonna get this out because i think that this what i did for this high school class is a prototype of what i now do for the podcast it's very similar mm -hmm. yeah the um, researching but this i mean the amount of time i worked on that slideshow way longer than any episode i've done mm -hmm. for this podcast but yeah it's good for me to have an outlet but yeah hopefully one day c-punk lives on and stays young forever yeah um and thank you for listening this week. Again, do check out the slide deck. You're going to find it cool. We made it, I posted again on Arena. It's this website that you can use sort of in like a Tumblr-esque way. Mm -hmm. I, do, I will say it's like not as easy to navigate, but mm -hmm. yeah, that's where you can go find it. And we hope you have a fun time looking at it. Yeah. Bye. Stay wavy.